you have your Bibles, open them up, please, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number one. Our D6 curriculum, our D6 theme this week is repentance. And all this week, we're going to be studying together on that biblical theme of repentance. And Isaiah chapter one is our springboard chapter as we jump into this, this great book and study some through Isaiah. And we're going to get in some this quarter uh, into Jeremiah and look at some of the major prophets and see what the Lord has in store for us even today in the 21st century. The message is still relative. The message is still there. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll jump right into our text today. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that takes up residence in our heart and in our soul today. We thank you for Jesus and for our salvation and for the cross and for the tomb that it's empty. We thank you for being victorious over death, hell, and the grave and over sin so that we too can be victorious when all of your righteousness is imputed upon us the moment that we accept you as our Lord and as our Savior. We thank you for the wonderful privilege. We thank you for the great heritage. We thank you for all the promises. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that's bestowed on us as believers. We thank you, Lord, that you do promise us that no matter what we're going through, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you even for the promise that you gave the children of Israel while they were living out their punishment, so to speak, that you promised them that there would be a land called Beulah that they would come back to and once again be restored. And God, we thank you for restoration that takes place in the person of Christ in our life. And God, when we stumble and fall in sin, and when our fellowship is severed, we're so thankful, as Jeremiah said, that you don't throw away the clay that you just remake us again. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts and individuals today. And my prayer is what Martin Luther prayed many, many years ago when he prayed that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and make us more like the Son of God. God, that's my prayer today. And I just want to stand here as a vessel to be used of you this morning as I proclaim what thus saith the Lord. And I pray that the Spirit of God would take the words that are going to fall off my lips, that are going to fall off these lips of clay, and God, touch our hearts. And Lord, we do pray that your Spirit would take your word and make us more like your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, this week as I've been preparing and studying for our theme on repentance and studying through Isaiah chapter 1, boy, my heart really began to be touched and moved by God. Isaiah is a wonderful book. Matter of fact, the book of Isaiah is like a miniature Bible. And there are a lot of comparisons between the book of Isaiah and the entire Bible that we have. For instance, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. The books of the Bible make up 66 books that make up the Bible that we have. There are two great divisions in the book of Isaiah. 
In the first 39 chapters, there's the division where God is primarily speaking through his prophet to the people of Israel. The last 27 chapters deal with the coming of the Christ. The focus is shifted from the people of Israel to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament primarily gives us the historical record and the account of the people of Israel in the last, the first 39 books. In our Bible, the last 27 books deal primarily with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and it centers on the theme of the Lord. The book of Isaiah is really a jewel case, if you will, and centered right in the middle of the last half of the book of Isaiah, we find Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah chapter number 53 is really the the high point of the entire last part, last division of the book of Isaiah, when it teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he would be beaten and how he would be spit upon and how he would be ridiculed and how he would die on the cross. And and we see that as the central element, if you will, of the last half, last division of the book of Isaiah. And of course, we see that in the New Testament as well, where Christ is the center point, the central theme, and how he is the, the anchor of our entire salvation. But let's go back and let's deal with Isaiah chapter number one. And we're talking this week about repentance. And our goal this week is that we would understand repentance and that we would make it a reality in our lives. That's our goal. That we would understand repentance and that we would make it a reality in our lives. Now, guys, here's where a lot of times we as believers, we as Christians miss the boat. We think that repentance is just talking about the day that we accept Christ and we repent of our sins and we ask Christ to come into our heart and into our life and we are born again as scripture teaches. Yes, that is the first moment that you repent. But guys, listen, we are to be living our lives somewhat in daily repentance because there is none of us, matter of fact, Paul said, I go to do good and I don't do it. I mess up, I do wrong. He said, I don't want to do that, but I, but I do it. Guys, do you realize that every single day we sin? Now, it may be a sin of commission or it may be a sin of omission. It may be something that we do. It may be something that we should have done that we failed to do. And we need to be living in a state of really repentance and asking God to forgive us and to cleanse us and to wash us so that we can enter into his presence in worship. This week in our fusion Uh, literature in our D6 literature we're going to be studying collectively together all this week about repentance and tomorrow we're going to be looking in Numbers chapter 21 and we're going to be seeing how repentance is essential to our relationship with God and with others. Guys if you're going to have a relationship with God you've got to have repentance in your life but also if you're going to have a good relationship one with another you're going to have to have repentance there as well. You see I believe that The way that we have relationship with God vertically always, always connects with our relationships one with another. And even our relationships one with another affect our relationship with God on the vertical. So we got to understand that it is important that yes, our hearts are right with God, but also that our hearts are right one with another. And we're going to be unpacking that on Monday. Tuesday, collectively together, we're going to be studying how repentance requires turning away from sin. Guys, listen, there needs to be that turning away. There needs, and that's really what repentance is. It's where I'm walking one way. God convicts me of something. I turn and go 
the opposite way, which is his direction. And we're going to be studying that together. On Wednesday, we're going to be studying together how repentance requires turning to God, not just away from sin, but turning to the Lord. On Thursday, we'll look together how repentance leads us to stop doing wrong and start doing what is right. And then on Friday, we'll come together and we'll study in our home Bible studies, in our families, in your own personal devotions. We'll be studying how repentance results in compassion. So this whole week, we're going to be studying repentance. But I want us to look in Isaiah chapter number 1. In Isaiah chapter number 1, really what what has taken place here is there's a court scene. The people of Israel are on trial. And God is the judge. Isaiah is his prophet, his mouthpiece. And he's speaking. He's actually bringing two indictments. He's bringing two charges on the people of Israel. The first charge that he's bringing on them is that they are rebellious people. And we see that in verses 2 down through verse number 10. That the nation of Israel is a rebellious people. Look, if you will, Isaiah chapter 1. And I'm going to pick up reading in verse number 2. It says, listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's feeding trough. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God was bringing a charge against his people. and He's saying, you are a rebellious people. As a matter of fact, he unpacks that a little bit in verse number 3. And he tells us that they don't even know him. He says, really, you're dumber than the donkey. The donkey knows where the feeding trough is and who's doing the feeding. But you, my people, do not know me. You have forgotten me. You do not understand me. And he's bringing this indictment against his people. And he's saying, you are a rebellious people because you have forgotten me. We look in verse number 4 and he says, O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. What he's saying here is that you've got a sinful heart. You have abandoned me. And that just simply means that you have forsaken me. You have rejected me. You have left me behind. You have willfully put me aside out of your love. The rebellion heart of the people. And then he says in verse number 4 that you've turned away from me. So he brings this indictment against these people. And you can unpack that all the way down through verse number 10. And you can see the judgment that's brought on the nation and that's brought on the land. In verse number 5, he says, why Why do you want more beatings? In other words, this is the judgment, the chastisement that's coming on your land because you have rebelled. You have forgotten me. Your hearts are full of sin. You have turned away from me. Therefore, judgment is being brought. Notice he says the whole heart, the whole head is hurt. The whole heart is sick. The sole of the foot, even to the head. He says the entire nation. Notice, if you will, you get down to verse number 7. Your land is desolate. In other words, it's devastated. He's saying, pay attention. There's a reason why I brought judgment on your land. It's because of the rebellious spirit of your heart. Look, if you will, in verse number 8, he says, daughter Zion is abandoned. Listen, that's the capital city. That's Jerusalem. He's saying your capital city is abandoned. It's a wasteland. It's lying and desolate simply because of their rebellious spirit. So I want you to see the indictment that's brought upon them. Number one, they are a rebellious people. But number two, and this is where I want to spend most of my time, I want you to see what he's saying to them in verse 11 down through verse number 20. He's telling them that their worship is not sincere. 
Your worship is not sincere. Look, if you will, in verse number 11. What are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls or lambs or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you? This trampling of my courts. Verse 13, stop bringing useless offerings. I despise your incense. Now that's talking about the form of prayer that they were offering up to God. I despise your incense, your prayer services. I despise your new moons, your Sabbaths, and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. Verse 15, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Guys, do you realize the indictment that God is bringing against his people? He's saying, your worship is not sincere. He's saying, your worship is phony. Your worship is empty. Your worship is ritualistic. Your worship is simply man-made religion and rules, and I despise it. Now, that's the two indictments that we find that God is bringing through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. Number one, they are rebellious. Number two, their worship is empty. It's not sincere. And all of that, God is leading them to come to a state of repentance that we see in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 16, 17, 18, and following. Guys, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want us to try to unpack it just for a moment and see how it applies to our love. And I've titled my message today, Getting to the Heart of True Worship. Getting to the Heart of True Worship. And let me go ahead and give you the bottom line. The heart of worship is all about the heart. Okay? That's... That's the thesis, if you will. That's the bottom line of what I'm going to try to unpack and share with you today. Getting to the heart of worship is going to require repentance. And it's not going to require us to do more activity. It's not going to require us to be in more services. It's not going to require us to do more good works, although we as Christians and believers are called to do good works. I just shared that with the leadership team this past week or so. We're required to do good works, not to be saved, but because we are saved. Hello? Y'all with me this morning? But I want you to see the heart of worship has everything to do with the heart. This morning, let me read you this passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, down through verse number 20 or so. But I want to read it to you from the Message Paraphrase Bible. And I want you to listen to how Eugene Peterson worded this. Now realize Uh, That translation is certainly not inspired of God, but it's just a a paraphrase. And I think he does a pretty good job with it. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 11. He says this, Why this frenzy of sacrifices, God's asking? Do you think I've had my fill of burnt offerings? Or don't you think I've had my fill of burnt offerings and rams and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls and lambs and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there and doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this and meetings for that. I hate them. 
You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion and your religion, your religion, while you go right on sinning. When you put on, listen to this, verse 15, when you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long, no matter how long or how loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Listen to what he tells them to do. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do what is good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. And come and sit down and let us argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you'll willingly obey your feast, you'll feast like kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right, God says so. As we think about the subject of repentance, I want us to think about the second charge that God brought against his people. The first one was rebellion. The second one was empty worship. Not sincere in their worship. Guys, may I just say this? Whenever you come into church on Sunday morning, a lot of times I think we may be guilty of just going through the motions. You know, we've got it all down pat. Daryl, we got it down pat. We come in and we know somebody's going to pull the trailer around the back. We come in and we're going to start unloading it. We're bringing the speakers in. We're putting up the choir risers. We're setting everything up. We've got the screens down pat how they go. We've got the projectors down pat. I mean, everything plugs in a certain way. Most of the time, we have our computers down pat. We do have some hiccups along the way with those. We know exactly where all the nursery stuff goes, and we've got all the Sunday school classes set up. And I mean, we come in and we do our thing, and then we think, okay, now it's time to go to our class. Now it's time to come to worship. And we come in here. As soon as worship over, it's time to tear down. Let's pack up the chairs. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody's doing something. We're getting everything packed up. We leave. We go home. It's 1 o'clock. Whew. We're done for the day. Now, guys, I realize there's a lot of work in being in a transition time where we are as a church having to sell our church building and our church property in the past and transitioning into new property and transitioning into a new building and setting up and tearing down every week, I know that's difficult. But guys, if we're not careful, it will simply become another activity that we do in our life and we'll be guilty of empty, ritualistic worship. And God says, I hate that. Amen? It's got to come from our heart. You see, a lot of times we sit in here, and I know this happens because we've had interferences, and we'll be texting on our phones. We'll be thinking about our next event of the day. We'll be thinking about where we're going. We'll be praying the preacher hurries up and gets done so we can get on out of here. Our minds go to our tails, and I realize those chairs are not easy to sit in. I understand all that. But guys, I believe it needs to start with a true heart of repentance and us asking God, God, forgive us. Search our heart. Now, I'm not saying everybody falls into this, but I can't help but think that some do. And probably every single one of us do from time to time. When you say, God, search our heart. 
because I don't want to offer up. Listen, we get to come together collectively as a church family once a week. This is it. Now, as Brother Darrell said, when we get a building, we're going to have all kinds of activities. We'll definitely have a midweek uh, service of some sort. I mean, there'll be other times we can come together and we get our building. But for right now, this is it. And may God forgive us if we've come in here and just go through the motions today. Hello? We need to search our heart. We need to ask God to search our heart and convict us. Listen, that's an old-fashioned word, and I know it's not real popular in the 21st century, and you don't want to hear anything about being convicted of something. But guys, that's where true repentance begins, when God convicts us, and we recognize our sins, and we pray, and we ask Him to forgive us, and we repent of that, and we turn and go the opposite way. I want us to think about our hearts this morning. The heart of worship is all about the heart. Now, in this passage of Scripture, very quickly, I think there are three things. Three things that do not matter in worship and one thing that does matter. And I want to try to share those with you very quickly. Jot this down, if you will, please, on the back of your bulletin, your notes there. Number one, external forms do not matter in true worship. The exterior and the external forms and the things that you're doing do not really matter in true worship. You see, the Israelites had their formality down pat. I mean, they knew exactly what to do. They knew how to go in and how to go out and what to bring and what to kill and who to talk to and who not. I mean, they had all that figured out. I mean, they went through the ritualistic routine on a daily basis and they knew what they were doing on the outside. But I want you to notice God is saying in verses 11 and 13, I'm not going to go back and read all that again, but he's saying, listen, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of all the external forms of worship. May I just remind you that the order of service and bringing it into our day and bringing it into our life and bringing it into our service, the order of service really doesn't matter to God. Hello? I mean, there have been times we come out and first thing we do when we get together is preach and then we'll sing at the end. We've done that before. And then we'll sing some and then we'll preach and then we'll have an offering or we'll have a prayer, we'll have a special. The order of service really doesn't matter. Don't get hung up on the order of service. That's the external forms. That's a ritualistic things that we do. It really doesn't matter. There's a big debate in theological circles of pastors and and different denominations on whether we should have a liturgical form of worship or a free worship, and that's been an ongoing debate for centuries. You know what? It doesn't matter. Hello? It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a Lutheran church. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a Methodist church. We are a Baptist church. It doesn't matter what denomination you're sitting in. What matters is your heart. Is your heart right with God? It doesn't matter if you have Old Testament reading and New Testament reading. It doesn't matter if you have three prayers. It doesn't really matter if you do communion every Sunday or you do it every fifth Sunday like we do. All that, it really doesn't matter. Hello? What does matter is our heart. So the external forms of worship really don't matter. Here, here's another one that doesn't matter. And this is a biggie in our day. The style of music doesn't matter. Do I need to say that again? The style of music doesn't matter. I've had it up to here with worship wars. Who cares? Hello? Some want hymns. Some want contemporary. Some want country western gospel, which I would probably tend to fall into that category more than the rest. Being raised in the south, I know what it is to be around Nashville and country. 
I would probably fall in. I don't care. I don't care what you sing, really. Now, I want to pay attention to the lyrics. I want to make sure they're doctrinally correct. Are you with me? You'll see churches and... I'm going to get up on this box just for just a minute, and I promise you I'll step down quickly. But it, it troubles me. When I see churches dividing their congregation with traditional service at this time, contemporary service at this time, coffee house service at this time, very casual service at this time, put on your flip-flops and your shorts and come to this service, dress up in your suit and come to this service, and what's up with all that? Can we get off this box or can I stay here a little bit longer? You know what that is? That's carnality. You really, you go back and you study the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, they entered the worship and it was all about them. What do I like? Listen, guys, the first rule we need to understand as a believer, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about worshiping him. Now, I know there's different. By the way, you've heard all the, I'm sure you've heard all the, the worship warm uh, debates that are, go back and forth and, and those that really like the hymns fighting against those that, that like the more contemporary music and by the way the contemporary music is going on more to a, a pop rock type of style but you find all those wars taking place in all different churches across America which I think is foolish but may I remind you of this the sacred hymns that we love many of them written by John and Charles Wesley Many of those sacred hymns, do you know where the Wesleys got the tune of those hymns that we call sacred hymns today? They got them from the bars and the taverns of that day. And there was a big uprising in the church when the Wesleys brought in this traditional hymn music that was put with Christian lyrics to bar tunes. Go back and study that a little bit. You see, the traditional hymns that we love today were contemporary at one time. Do I need to say more? I could go on and on and on about this. And don't fall into that trap. We sang a, matter of fact, as Dave was singing this Beulah Land up here in practice this morning before everybody got here, I pulled out a cell phone and I act like I was answering the cell phone and I act like it was Bill Gaither and I said, hey, Dave, Bill wants to speak with you. And, you know, kind of, you guys familiar with Bill Gaither, some of you? That kind of falls into that category. You know what? I don't care what category it falls in. I want us to engage in worship. The external forms do not matter. So please don't fall into that category that says, well, I don't like that style of music. I don't know why they sang that song. I don't like that style of music. And that, that's sinful. And I hope you repent of that. Hello? Say amen or oh me, but say something. Let me know you out there, will you? The order of service doesn't matter. The style of music doesn't matter. The amount of your offering doesn't matter. Hello? Listen, God owns it all. And matter of fact, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Listen, God is going to build Victory Church. And he's been building it through some of the different storms that we've come through through the years. God is still true to his word. He said, I will build my church. Listen, I've had people rise up and say, I'm leaving. And I'm taking my offering with me. I'm taking my tithes with me. And I'm a big tither and I'm leaving. I, well, if, if this is not where God wants you, then bye. But I'm taking my tithes with me. 
Bye. Hello? This is God's church. He will supply and meet our needs. You see, that's that carnality that slips in there. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the style that we like. It's about, is this the place where God wants me to serve? And is this the place where I can get in tune with God and worship Him from my heart in spirit and in truth? It's not about all the external forms. Somebody say amen right there. Let me know you're with me. Number two, jot this one down. Now, this, is, this one may sound like an oxymoron, but, but it really isn't. No, the second thing that does not matter is church going. Just church going or church attendance really doesn't matter in true, genuine worship. Now, are we commanded to come together? Sure we are. But you know what? You can draw a big crowd, and you can have people there every single Sunday, and nobody really worships and connects in worship. It's not about a crowd. It's not about and just getting. Matter of fact, I was raised in a church that always gave out those perfect attendance pins. And I don't know about you. I came from a traditional Southern Baptist church, and I'm kind of, you know, I was raised in that, and then on and on. They gave out those perfect attendance pins. I just remember one particular instance where there was a particular individual, and I won't say if he's male or female because all of these go on the podcast, they're on the internet, people listen to these messages everywhere, and so I don't want to single out anybody. But there was a particular individual that, 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 had, that had like, um, like 39 or Right at, right at 40 years, perfect attendance. I mean, never missed Sunday school, never missed worship service, never missed Wednesday night, perfect attendance. But while I was pastoring that church, we had on our reports that he missed a particular Sunday. Well, you would not believe the uprising that took place from that individual. No, I did not. Well, it's on our reports. No, I did. Listen, guys. And, of course, we had to say, okay, come on up here, and here's your little 40-year pen. Now go sit down. That's finally what we had to do. Who cares? I, I really don't care. You see, that has nothing to do with true worship. And I believe God would look at that and say, I'm sick of your attendance rolls, and I'm sick of your 40-year perfect attendance. Your heart is far from me. And by the way, I guess there's... No, I won't even go there with the individual... I don't even want us. To. Now, should you be faithful? Yeah. We're commanded to be here. The Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembly of yourself together. Get together. Why? But so we can worship God, so we can draw strength from one another. But listen, true worship just doesn't happen just because we come to church. Hello? External forms do not matter in true worship. Church attendance really doesn't matter in true worship. Let me give you the third thing that doesn't matter. And this, uh, hear me out on this. Your mere prayers, or just mere prayers, just offering up a prayer service, really doesn't matter in true worship. I'm reminded of the scripture when Jesus was observing a Pharisee that was praying. And this Pharisee was praying in a way that I mean, it was a beautiful prayer. You, you've heard those people pray. There's some people that can just pray oh so eloquently. And man, when they pray, you think, man, what a powerful prayer. Man, I would love to be, be able to pray and use words like that. I mean, you, you've seen, you heard, and I'm not saying that all, all that prayer is bad. But what I am saying, we've got to be careful. And there was one individual that just smote themselves on the breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the prayer that I heard. Yours is for show. 
this one right here is sincere and from the heart. Let's be careful in our prayer services. Let's be careful whenever we pray in public. Let's be careful whenever we just, God says, I'm sick of hearing your prayers. Why? Because he knew their heart was far from him. And so I want you to understand True worship is not about our external forms. It's not about about the style of music. It's not about the order of service. True worship is not about church attendance. It's not about just coming together and having perfect attendance and being here all the time. It's not about that. True worship is not just simply having a prayer service. The one thing I want you to write down about true worship, what is true worship? What does matter is that our heart, write that down, our heart must be right with God and others our heart must be right with God and others that's what God was saying through the prophet Isaiah he's saying come to me let's reason this thing out let's talk about this though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow worship is about the heart and all that starts with repentance but I want to say two things about the heart of worship number one Number one, your heart has got to be right between you and God. And you ought to pray daily, God, search my heart. If there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you, God, convict me of it. And help me to repent of it. And give my heart and my life all completely to you. And then we can enter into worship. So I think that's a no-brainer. We understand that one. But there's a second element to how the heart can hinder us from worship. Not only must your heart be right with God, but your heart must be right with each other. Your heart must be right with your fellow man. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. He said, if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying that it's very important that the relationships that you have on the horizontal level are in good favor. And if you know somebody's got, someone has ought against you or you have ought against someone... Don't come and pretend you're worshiping because you're really not. God says your heart's not right. The external forms you're going through, the prayer services you're going through, the attendance you're going through, but none of that matters in worship. What matters is your heart. So let me ask you a question. We're thinking about repentance this week, and we're getting to the heart of worship, where it's really all about the heart. Let me ask you. How is your relationship between you and God right now? How is that relationship? Forget about the external forms. Forget about the church attendance. Forget about singing songs. Forget about offering up prayer services. Forget about a Sunday school class or a small group activity. Forget about all of that. How is your heart right now between you and God? Second thing I want to ask, how is your heart right now between you and other people in your life? And it may be church members, it may be family members, it may be co-workers, it may be neighbors. How are things right now? And guys, it's up to you to at least go and attempt to restore 
those relationships if you know they're hindering you from worship. And only you will know that as God fingers around in your heart. But guys, if we want to get to the heart of worship, we must focus on the heart. And if we really want to get to the heart of worship, there must be a spirit of repentance. We pray that God would search us and convict us and draw us to him. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. The Lord says in Isaiah 1.18, come, let us discuss this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I wonder this morning, maybe there are some that are here, and your relationship between you and the Lord is not where it needs to be. I mean, you know that the fellowship has been broken. And possibly the Holy Spirit, as we have prayed and asked Him to do, has fingered around in our heart and convicted us of some certain areas in our life that has broken that fellowship between us and God. Right now, will you just simply pray and ask God to forgive you? If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, my prayer is that right now in this moment, and we're going to have a song of invitation And as they lead us through this song of worship, you can either pray in your seats or if you need someone to pray with you, our deacons and their wives are in the back and they'll be glad to pray with you through whatever spiritual problem, issue, whatever it is you may be having. We want to have someone available to pray with you if you would like. Or otherwise you can do business right there in your seat. But if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, may I just say that number one, He loves you and He died for you. And he was buried and he rose again for you. And right now the scripture teaches that he is sitting by the right hand of God the Father. And there he is interceding on your behalf. Right now will you just simply pray a prayer like this. Say something like this. Say, dear God, I realize that I've sinned. And I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I pray that you'd forgive me. I pray, Lord, that you would be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Maybe you're here and you've already prayed that prayer. but Maybe you just need to recommit or rededicate your life to the Lord. Why don't right now you pray a prayer something like this. Say, God, I've been busy in a lot of external activity. And I really haven't been focused on you in true and genuine worship. I pray right now that you'd forgive me. I repent of my sins pray you'd restore me into true fellowship with you and help me to worship you in spirit and in truth.